It's good to see you here this morning, especially some of you dads. Last night was a great daddy uh, daughter dance for many of the dads in here. Um, I'm not bragging, but I did finish third in the daddy dance off. Just saying, uh, Ben Cook, our sound guy, finished second, but it's always the youth pastor who finishes first, Joe Pammon. And, and the way that he won was uh, he did the worm. If you don't know what that is, look it up. Did the worm on the ground, and he sealed the victory and an appointment with the chiropractor. So good job, Job. <laughs> you know, uh, it was a lot of uh, little princesses there last night, and a lot of little girls, and Speaking of princesses, I don't know if you know that for those of you perhaps heard this a while back that a former Northwestern graduate is going to marry a prince. Do you know that? Her name is Meghan Markle and she graduated in 2003 and she's going to marry Prince Harry. Basically, she's going to be a princess. So what do you want to do with your life? Right? It's like, where do you go from there? Um, however, her position is mainly symbolic with no real power over the daily life of their citizens. I mean, you can think about our country, uh, the role of the government um, in making some crucial decisions that impacts America and also our daily lives. So the decisions they make can like shut down the government and have impact upon us. But the rulers in other countries like, like England, where, where it's just more symbolic. You can think about Elizabeth. She's the queen. But the role is mainly honorary and symbolic. And as others carry out the country's responsibilities with, with much more authority. So her ultimate say has very little sway over the life of their citizens. And I just think about, um, for those of you who claim to be a Christian... Some of you view Jesus as like this symbolic leader, right? He's just symbolic. I mean, like, for those of you, if you're in here right now, and if you say, I was born a Christian, then you for sure view Jesus as your symbolic leader, okay? Because that's, no one's born a Christian, all right? But anyway, if you perhaps say, no, it's more like the United States government, you know, there's a little input to have in my life. I view Jesus as someone I'll, I'll pray to, I'll go to church. So he has some say in my life, but not too much. But most of you, I know most of you, most of you would claim, no, 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 no. Jesus is not symbolic in my life. He doesn't have a little input. Jesus is my Lord. Right? You're like, he's my king. What he says goes. I submit to his lordship. Most of you in here would claim Jesus is Lord not only of the world, but he's the Lord of your life. So I'm not, I'm not pushing back on that because most of you would say he is Lord. But I do wonder, and I'm sure sometimes you wonder, he's Lord, but is he really enough to help me? Fulfill me, guide me, care for me in my suffering. Do you get what I'm getting at? You acknowledge his supremacy, but you don't. You doubt his sufficiency. Anybody like that? You acknowledge his supremacy, but you doubt his sufficiency, and you wonder, am I missing something? I'm missing something. There must be something else to fulfill me or to guide me or to care for me in my suffering. 
And you're like, am I missing something? The Apostle Paul wrote this letter that we've been studying to the church in Colossae. And there were some teachers in that church trying to infiltrate it. And they would say, yes, indeed, you are missing something. Maybe you've always wondered, how does false teaching get into churches like that? It's because they're tapping into something we feel. Yeah, maybe there is something missing in my life. And they start throwing stuff out like, hey, you're missing this alternative plan of spirituality. You're not following the rules enough. Or you're not having this Holy Spirit experience enough. Or you're not turning to angels. You need to pray to angels. You need to pray to saints. You need this boost in your life. That's what you're missing. And all of these alternative plans of spirituality, what they ultimately end up doing is devaluing and diminishing Jesus Christ. And what Paul is doing in this book, he's pushing back and he claims that Christ is supreme and preeminent and therefore sufficient. And I'll put it another way. Since Jesus is supreme, then he is sufficient. Since Jesus is supreme then he is sufficient. He is sufficient to save you, to grow you, to fulfill you, to guide you, to love you, to rule over you, to care for you, and to give you hope. And it's that right there, that statement, I just want to just be burned into your heart and your mind and stir up all kinds of faith within you this morning. So as we look at this significant passage this morning that Sam has already read to us, many think it was an early Christian hymn that was lifting up the supremacy of Christ. Now I want to stay kind of organized as we go through this. Uh, Douglas Moo is one of my favorite scholars, and this will help me organize. He says that what we're going to see here is the supremacy of Christ in creation, the supremacy of Christ in the new creation, and lastly, we're going to see how the supremacy of Christ demands a firm faith. Hey, you know what I want to do this morning? I want to talk to some of you who are exploring Christianity, because I know there's some of you who are here. You're like, I'm, I'm trying to figure this whole Christian thing out. I really want to talk to you this morning, and I really want you to understand what, what the Bible is saying about Jesus and who he is. And I want all of us this morning, we, we've got to, this is a, a, a magnificent passage where you almost like got to keep your head down and see what it's saying. But especially for those who are new, to, who are exploring Christianity, this is a significant uh, passage. So let's go ahead and just jump right in with the supremacy of Christ in creation. Look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God in that he is the, the full representation, revelation, and manifestation of God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That imprint language sounds like the imprinting of a coin with the face of a leader like Caesar. And in this case, Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature because Jesus is God. Jesus said this in John 14, 9. 
He says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. It's a clear statement from Jesus of his deity. Jesus is God. Now, we can have a really long conversation in the future on how there's one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but Jesus is fully God. That is the claim of the Christian. Continue on, verse 15 again, head down. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, when you hear firstborn, you may think of like a firstborn child. But in the Hebrew culture, firstborn also referred to the concept of rank or privilege. And this rank or privilege could go to a descendant regardless of the birth order. Isaac, remember him in the Old Testament? He was not born first, nor was Jacob. And yet they both got the blessing and the inheritance. The reference here to Jesus as the firstborn is not talking about Jesus' birth order in creation as if he was created. That's a heresy, by the way, called Arianism, indicating that Christ was a created being. We're not talking about that. Rather, since Jesus existed for eternity and is the creator, firstborn here is a reference to the right rank and privilege. What we're getting at is Jesus is the supreme and preeminent, exalted son of all creation who has rights, privileges, rank, rule, and authority over all creation. His preeminence is surpassing. You think about Usain Bolt, best runner ever, right? Supreme. Serena Williams, best tennis player ever. And Jesus, he surpasses all as Lord of all. So far, so good. Jesus is God. He's God. And he's overall. But notice also that Jesus is also the creator. I know this is a lot to take in. Do your best. He's also the creator. Look at verse 16. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Have you never heard that before? That God, through Jesus Christ, created the world. Jesus created the world. For by him all things were created, and all things were created through him. Jesus created all things, as it says there, in heaven and on earth. He created all things that are seen, which are visible, and unseen, which are invisible. He created angels and may be ranked in order of thrones and rulers of authorities. This also may be a reference to fallen angels who are demons who attempt to utilize their ruling power. So whether it's talking about angels or demons, Christ is over all. And, and the focus of creation is Jesus, as all things were created through him and for him. So he is the focus and he is the aim. Verse 17 Verse 17 says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, I think it's talking about the Son of God is eternally preexistent before all things, and he holds all things intact. In fact, if Christ were not holding you together right now as you're sitting in there in that pew, I guess we could say that you would dissolve or disintegrate into nothingness. Who's holding you together right now? Christ is holding you intact. 
an astounding claim that Jesus Christ, who walked the earth 2,000 years ago, right now is the one who is the creator and he is sustaining and holding everything together right now, including you sitting in that pew. He is the supreme Lord over creation. You're like, wow, why is Paul doing this? Why is he pressing this point here of the supremacy of Christ? It's because if Christ created everything and he sustains everything and he's over creation, it proves that he is sufficient for your life. It's insane to think that whatever you're dealing with right now, that you have no option of turning to Jesus, that you've got to figure out another option, that Christ cannot care for you with whatever you're facing right now, that he created all that stuff, he's holding you intact right now, and yet he is not sufficient to fulfill you, to guide you, or to care for you. That is insane. That is insane. It was on January 13th at 8.07 a.m. that Hawaii residents received a text message that a ballistic missile was headed for the island and they were to seek shelter immediately. At 8.45, the residents were alerted that it was a false alarm. Someone hit the wrong button. You had one job. (laughs) 16 minutes after this message, this is no joke, 16 minutes after that second message, internet pornography increased 50%. People were scared to death they were going to die. And in their fear, they turned to pornography. And you would say, that's insane. They almost thought they were going to die. And they, they did that. that. Does that not sound insane? So I'll ask you, what do you turn to when the missiles come your way? What do you turn to? Maybe it's not pornography. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. Smoke something a little on the side to calm you down. Drink something to calm you down. Maybe you go to food, I don't know, or the lack of food, you feel like you're in control. I mean, you have your thing that you are tempted to go through when you feel like these missiles are headed your way, and you may think, that's insane what they did in Hawaii. That's crazy. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? If Jesus is supreme that you believe, it's your theology, I hope. He's Lord. He's holding you intact right now. That in suffering and pain, why would you not turn to him? That's just insane. Paul's kind of pressing that point on them. Don't turn to other things. Christ is supreme and sufficient. But not only is he supreme over his creation, but let's just keep going. Let's look at the supremacy of Christ in the new creation. Pick it up in verse 18. Stick with me here. This gets gets really good. And he is the head 
of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be, there's that word, preeminent. <laughs> All right. Church is called the body of Christ here. And Christ is the head of the church around the world. And even this church, he is our authority. He is our Lord who rules over us and he loves us and he nurtures us and leads us. In addition to his headship over the church, it says the fact that he is the beginning. <laughs> Earlier we saw that he was the initiator of the creation, created everything, but here he is the initiator in the beginning of the church. This thing we're doing right now, not my idea, not your idea. Jesus created the church. The church is his bride. This is very, very important. If he is the head and supreme over the church, then you would think that any time that you're bad-mouthing the church, Jesus is sitting back going, why are you dogging on my wife? Right? It's his bride. He probably doesn't take that lightly. It's not that we can't speak wisdom and truth to those within the church, but to be slamming the church that he created is a slam on him. And I want to press it even further. If Jesus created the church and we're here on his idea, not ours, then it seems like the church should be a priority. You shouldn't ignore his bride. You shouldn't ignore the church. He thinks it's important. And so if you come here to church, maybe here this morning, or to your ethos community, when it's convenient for you or does not conflict with your schedule, then you are not prioritizing what Jesus sees as a priority. Can you imagine talking to Jesus and say, Jesus, you know, I have a conflict. can't go to church for the next, I don't know, long time. And I have a conflict. With the you know, see, how many of us really turn down other things because we have church? We have to gather with believers. We like to say no to other things because there's a conflict with church. That's the priority that Jesus wants us to give to his bride, which he is supreme over. Continue on. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In the Old Testament, the glory of God was said to fill the temple, but now in Christ is the glory and fullness of God. There is nothing lacking as Jesus is fully God in all of his attributes and fully sufficient to meet your needs. Verse 20. This is good. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, I, I really want to speak to those who are, who are investigating uh, Christianity right now. I want you to make the connection here, okay? We are saying that Jesus Christ, the fullness of God, dwells, which allows him to not just be some dude who walked this earth that we're saying that he is fully God, fully man, who was the sacrifice to turn away the wrath of the Father on the cross. He was buried. Three days later, he came back to life. And now we're claiming, we are claiming through the word of God, through the reality of what Christ did, we are claiming that his finished work is able to reconcile sinners with a holy God. We're saying that on the cross, instead of wrath coming on you, 
punishment coming on you. It went on Christ. And now we're saying in Christ, in Christ alone, is reconciliation from the Father to a sinful people through his son, Jesus. And why did it work? Because Jesus was fully God and fully man. He was the great God-man, the reconciler of all things in him. And now the claim that we're making over and over again is that not only is he supreme over the church, but he is sufficient for your life. <laughs> I'm when finishing up a book right now called Shattered Dreams by Larry Crabb. In fact, Larry Crabb, I would say, is one of the authors since my early days of being a believer has really helped me. And he wrote this book called Shattered Dreams. Basically, he's just talking about how, how you function when your life does not go as planned when things are not playing out the way that you want them to, and you would say that your, your vision or your dream has gone bust. And we all can tell stories like that, and some of you are there right now. It can be very discouraging. But what we're saying here is that Christ is in control. He is supreme, and he knows what's going on. And he's not only holding you together, he's also there to guide you, to love you, and to care for you. And if you feel like you need to turn somewhere else for another option, you don't. What, I mean, where else are you going to go? What else is going to fill you and satisfy you and guide you and care for you like the exalted Christ? Where else are you going to go? The argument continues to be made that since Jesus is supreme, then he is sufficient. Well, we said all this so far to stir up your faith. Hopefully this has stirred up your faith. And we'll finish up with verses 21 through the rest. Hopefully this stirred up your faith. Look at verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And this part here, Paul has taken the Colossians back to their previous life before Christ. They were alienated from God, hostile in mind against God. The expression of their hostility, it says here, was explained in evil deeds. But praise the Lord, Christ died for the ungodly and paid the penalty for the evil deeds. It says here that he, he took hostile sinners and reconciled them in his body of flesh by his death. His purpose was to take on the evil of sinners on the cross and in exchange clothe sinners in his perfect righteousness. And as it, say, it says right here, now before God, hostile sinners are presented holy and blameless and above reproach before him. See if you can find that again. I'm going to read that one more time. It's in verse 22. Do you see it there? Now in Christ you are holy blameless and above reproach before him. During seminary, my grad school times, I was going through a period of time, I mean, I don't know if I was depressed or what, but I felt so condemned. You may ever go through that? My thoughts were looping of condemnation and I couldn't really explain why. I don't know if anybody else has these thoughts that loop in your head that tells you you're doing stuff wrong, you're condemned, you're not loved or something. It's not just that, hey, you did something wrong. It's, hey, 
you are wrong. You get that? You see the distinction? It's good to be convicted of sin and say, call it out as sin. But the problem is when you start transferring it to say, you didn't just do something bad. You are bad. And that's what I was feeling in, in seminary. And I kid you not, it's this verse right here in verse 22 that I said, I had to read it over and over again. Because of what Christ has done, I'm holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If any of you struggle with these condemning thoughts, I would keep coming right here. Holy in the eyes of the Father, blameless in the eyes of the Father, and above reproach before him. Keep pressing in to who you are in Christ. And who you are in Christ demands an enduring faith. And the last verse is verse 23. It says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. He's saying, hey, don't shift to something else. Don't pull away from Christ, for he is supreme. And that demands a firm and enduring faith. Because this gospel has gone out, that Paul has proclaimed, and this is the hope of all the nations, everyone in here, that forgiveness of sins is legit. Eternal life is for real. We are not making this stuff up. This is not make-believe. This is not a myth. And it can be yours. But there's an if statement. Did you see it in verse 23? If indeed you continue in the faith, Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. If you are truly a believer, you will keep going in faith. Doesn't mean you won't have struggles, you won't have doubts, you won't have hard times. But being a believer doesn't mean a one-time transaction and moving on with life on your own terms. No, no. It says if you continue in your faith. Now I want to make a little theological statement here that says this. All, all true believers will continue in their faith. But only those who continue in the faith will be saved. You're like, well, that sounds like kind of doublespeak stuff, you know? No, no, clearly, clearly taught in the Bible that all believers, if you're a true believer, you will continue in your faith. But only those who continue in their faith will be saved. It's the admonition to keep going. Don't bail on the gospel. Be steadfast in Christ. Don't shift to something else. You're thinking, I need some rituals or something. I need, I need these experiences. I, I need to do my own good works for my boost. Or I need a systematic plan of, of rules and procedures. I need, I need a special prayer. Uh, hey, it's not Jesus plus, Right? We're not saying, well, you need Jesus, plus you need something else. No, it's not Jesus plus. It's Jesus. Since he is supreme, he is also sufficient. You don't need to move on to something else. And I don't want you to think that we're trying to play superficial, slapping Jesus on. I mean, I do not want to do that to you. I don't want you to you come up and tell me your problem and say, Jesus, he's the answer. See you later. Oh, you got a problem? Jesus. We don't want to talk superficial like that, right? We don't want to do that. 
But we do want to say that if you're struggling with something and you're having hard times right now and it is not an option for you or you're not taking the option of turning to Christ, that's what you're missing. Just because you turn to Jesus Christ does not fix everything instantly. I, I know some of us view the Bible like that. And go, I'm struggling with something. I prayed about it. Still got the struggle. Jesus is not working. No, 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 no. You're not going to find characters in the Bible who are like, yeah, had a problem. Prayed about it. Fixed. Read the Old Testament. That stuff drags out. Right? It's, don't think of it that way. Do not think of it that way. But think of it in terms of, hey, I'm struggling with something, and I'm going to keep coming back to the Lord. And if he wants to allow to keep going in my life, that's his choice. But I'm going to keep coming back to Christ. I have a personal relationship with him. We can talk. I can read his word. And I'm going to keep pressing on in Christ over and over and over again. Because theologically, you don't just believe he is supreme. But right here, you want to believe, yeah, he is sufficient. He is sufficient to fulfill me, to guide me, and to care for me. Let's pray. Father, I pray for those in here who are investigating Jesus. Maybe they've said that they've always been born a Christian, or maybe they've said things like, uh, yeah, I'll pray over a meal or something. But may they see that you are reaching them by the power of your Spirit, and you want to be Lord over their lives. May they turn from their sin and right now put their faith in Jesus. Say, Jesus, you are Lord. You are sufficient to forgive me. You are sufficient to wipe away all my sins. You are sufficient to bring me to the Father. And for those of us who have been a Christian maybe many years, and we got the theology down just right, but when the missiles come, we turn to other things besides you. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us in our pain for turning to substance, for turning to morality, to turning just binge-watching on TV, checking out of church, checking out of life. Lord, forgive us. Because you're the one who cares for us. You're the one that loves us and guides us and fulfills us. Help us to believe that so we won't turn to these other things that will turn to you and you alone because, Jesus, you are supreme and you are sufficient. Help us to believe that. In Christ's name, amen.